Welcome to Gardening Talk, back on 2NURFM. Greg Richard here, joined by Scott Sharp. Scott, great to see you once again. A beautiful day outside. It, what have you got lined up for us? It is beautiful, isn't it? Unseasonally so, Yes, some would say. Some say unseasonally warm days for the last yes, couple of days. it has been fantastic. So I thought today, just to get in the spirit of, you know, still in the tropics, even though we're in winter, yep. uh, I'd like to, uh, you know, throw some questions out to people who grow vanilla beans down here in Newcastle. And right. if so, is it possible? There's a couple of other plants I'll talk about. That's the lipstick palm. Can't grow it down here, but we'll have oh. a chat about it. And coconut palms as well. Excellent. Yeah. So if people had success. Right yeah. I got to ask the flower, the vanilla bean flower. Yes. I got asked what that was the other week for it, trivia. I had no idea. It's a little orchid. A little orchid. Yeah. How how cute, yeah. <laughs> and we've got Peter from Lemon Tree Passage, and he's got a problem with his soil. Good afternoon, Peter. How can we help you? Um, I built some raised beds and I put some um, sandy loam in it, and that was about 12 years ago, but... I compost all my veggies and I also compost um, cow manure and chicken manure. <coughs> and I add that to it each year, which I've been doing for the last 12 years. And it's it's now becoming um, real gluggy, like you, if you put your your, um, your finger in it, it all sticks to your finger like, um, like compost, I suppose. Uh, I just wonder whether I should add sand to it or is there something else I can put to it? And and it's still sandy now, or it's moved past that, has it? Um, some parts of it, yeah. The, the parts that have, uh, that have been a bit older have moved past that. And when you turn it over, it's absolutely full of worms, and everything grows terrific in it. It's just that it, um, when you when you turn it over, it's it's nice and friable. But then after about a month, or once you plant something in it, after a while, it starts to just settle real. So it's not solid, but yeah, look, I, I don't think there's any harm in putting some sand in there to uh, in, improve the drainage um, again. Uh, no harm in doing that. Just make sure that you're really turning it over, though, and uh, you know, mixing it right through that soil to try and break it up as much as possible. So yeah, look, there's no harm in doing that. Make sure it's washed sand, of course. Um, you know, you can't you know head down to your local beach or anything like that and poach that. It um, you know have you know too much salt and uh, minerals in there. So you always go and get some washed sand if you're going to do it. All right, and like gypsum or anything like that, that wouldn't be any good to it? Well, gypsum's for breaking down clay. I, I don't think it's going to harm it in any way whatsoever, so give that a try because when you, when you, you, know, you get some gypsum and you, it is that sort of, uh, you know, it's a hard one to describe, isn't it, gypsum, when you roll it through your fingers, but it would actually open up um, the soil for you as well. So, you know, maybe just a, a mixture of some gypsum, a little bit of sand in there. You know, don't add large amounts at first because you don't want to overdo it. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, cooking a cake or something. People always put that little bit too much of stuff in there. So, yeah, just take it slowly, adding, turning it over, seeing what it looks like. Um, you know, maybe leave it a week or two, uh, you know, see if it's still draining properly. And then if you need to, you can add some more at that point in time. Okay, no worries. Thanks, okay. Good on you, Peter. Let us know how you go with it. No worries. Okay, thank you. Cheers. Bye. Thanks, Peter. We've got Jeff from Arcadia Vale, and he's got small brown moss around the house and also in the garden as well. Not the not the bogon moth. Apparently, we don't have the bogons too much anymore. That's a shame. Yeah, I think they've uh, yeah something bad's happened to them. It's not. It's actually not a good thing. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, yeah. Jeff, how can we help you you with your moths? Yeah, Scott. They're only they're only small ones. They're. Uh... Oh, I'd probably say a brownie colour, no bigger than maybe a, a twenty cent piece or so, and they uh, 
they seem to like to hang around under the eaves, and and when I go out in the morning, like where the where the front door is, they're all up under the under the uh, ceiling at the outside of the front door. And then uh, yesterday, because I haven't been able to cut the grass through, I've been so wet. Uh, just walking down the backyard, uh, and you could see them coming up out of the grass. And I was wondering if they might have any uh, relationship to grubs or whatever. Yeah, I'm wondering if you've got the, you know, the army worm uh, moth, uh, you know, sort of frequenting your place at the moment. So it's probably a good idea to get rid of them. Uh, just get some, mix up some pyrethrum spray, the safest thing to go and use. Give the yeah. uh, the moth a spray and that should keep them under control. Yeah, okay then. All right. Um, because the, the, the grass seems to look all right. I, I wouldn't say it's 100%. But uh, like I thought, like if it had army worm and that, you'd, you'd sort of really notice that, would you, do you think? Look, you would. It's, it's been, believe it or not, a pretty bad season for uh, army grub this season. Mm-hmm. I think in some ways it's been masked by the, the, you know, the amount of rain that we've had. So even though the root system is being eaten away by the army grub, yeah. uh, it can survive because there's so much moisture in the soil. But uh, what's happening, though, is that they're probably in plague proportions now. There's been so much for them to feed on, uh, you know, that they're just being able to, you know, reproduce so quickly. So, yeah, I would definitely try and keep those moths under control. Uh, Some pyrethrum spray is the safest thing to use. Okay, then, great. I'll give it a try. Thanks, Scott. Good on you, Jeff. Thank you. Now, the top of the hour, Scott, you mentioned the vanilla pods, if you can plant them in this area. Yes, I want to know if anyone actually had been able to manage to get a vanilla climber bean orchid to grow. Well, well, surely you could grow orchids here, so... Yeah, and look, you might be able to do it if you've got some sort of little greenhouse or, you know, some sort of nice warm spot in the garden. Uh, They really need to be in tropical areas where the temperature remains above 15 degrees. Right. Yeah, it's probably going to struggle around here. Then. Yeah, preclude Newcastle unless you've got some sort of heated greenhouse and you're really sort of married to having very fresh <laughs> vanilla bean yep. pods in your place. And they do smell fantastic when you well, get them nice and fresh. Smell like vanilla, don't they? They do, yeah. Not like that fake stuff that you get, you know. Nah, the essence. The essence. The essence it's of. It's not quite the same, is it? No, nah, it's not, not quite the same. But at least they are an orchid. Right, yep. Yeah, so they grow like a little climber. Um, it's a sort of a creamy green, sort of waxy, sort of tiny little flower. Yeah, really cute, in fact. I actually have seen them growing. Um, you have, with your own eyes? Yes, with my own eyes, yeah, yeah. Um, strange story, we were uh, went up to New Guinea diving. Uh, yep. Yeah, went to this thing, the dive people said, yeah, it's an island, and we dived what we thought was an island. And then in the afternoon, we cruised around the back, and it was actually a flooded caldera, like the volcano had blown out and flooded. Yep. Uh, we jumped off the boat, went up to this village. They had little gardens. Um, pigs and everything, and they're growing vanilla beans up there. Yeah, really oh, nice. Did you nick some? Oh, I definitely did not. Definitely did not. They needed that to survive. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> Just... <laughs> they need, no, not they didn't have vanilla ice cream up there. They need to sell it. And yeah, it was a big thing for them to be able to grow uh, the vanilla beans right. and uh, yeah, make some living out of it. Yeah. But a really beautiful spot. Great story. Thank you. I thought, <laughs> I thought I'd try and get that one in there for you. I guess you could grow it down here as an indoor plant, uh, like I said, or in a little uh, hothouse. Yep. Um, look, uh, uh, they just need really humid conditions as well. So probably going to be difficult here. Uh, you need to be spraying them. But we'd just love to hear if anyone actually has been successful in, in growing one down yeah, here right. in Newcastle. Surely you could grow the orchid, though, and maybe not get the, the pods. 
Yeah, look, that, that could be possible. You might just not get it to flower properly. Yeah. Yeah, you might get the plant to grow. But then, you know, plants like that will just die off when it starts to get too cold. Uh, yeah, so look, love to hear though if someone's had some success. You need a hothouse or some description. Yes, yeah, a very, like yeah, like a conservatory of some sort that's nice and warm and humid. Excellent. Well, hopefully someone's had a bit of luck with them. Yeah, well, might have been to New Guinea and been to the same place that I went to. Possibly. Okay. <laughs> Surely someone has also been to the same place. It's Gardening Talk back on 2 RFM. And we've got Peter from Raymond Terrace, and he wants to change his grass from his current variety, and he wants if there's any suggestions he can have for it, I guess. Hey, Peter, what sort of grass have you got at the moment? I've got quite, it's about um, 20 years old. Yeah. But, uh, and I spent a lot of time and money on maintaining it, but it just doesn't look what I'd like to, you know. You know, some of twice a week, and, you know. Oh, okay. so you've got some you there and it's just not looking 100% for you. So do you want to actually try and change it completely? Yes, I was going to um, get a machine to roll it up and lay new turf down. Yeah, and look, that is about the only way you can do it. There's no use trying to sort of overseed or, you know, put different runners in there and let it take over. If you want a new turf variety, you really do have to, uh, you know, get it taken up and, and start again with the, the new variety that you want. Um, so, I mean, you could try buffalo if you wanted to. Uh, it can be a bit touchy in winter here in Newcastle. Um, cooch is probably the, you know, that's the most common, very fine leaf, uh, you know, grass that you see. It's it's very, very resilient uh, and it will take over pretty much any other turf variety anyway. Um, so if you want a really nice sort of bowling green, cooch is, is probably the best way to go. Oh, okay. Because our soil seems to hold the moisture. I mean... Even though we had haven't had rain for a couple of days, the front lawn is still um, water seeping out. You're leaving you know, down to the, to the gutter, that, you know. So just yeah. So Peter, are you like at the bottom of a hill or what, no? What... No, it's pretty. I'm just in the audience. Have the at the back. that's pretty flat. At the front has a very slight uh, fall to the front. That's all. Right, okay. So, yeah, cooch is going to soak that up for you as well. So, cooch might be the, the variety that you need, especially if you want to have that really perfect sort of bowling green uh, style lawn. Yeah, okay, mate. Okay, good on you. Thanks for the call. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate your time. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Have a nice afternoon, mate. Thank you. It's Gardening Talk back on 2 and you are FM. If you've got a question, 49216216. And we've got Sue from Charlestown. She wants to know when to trim her creep myrtle, crepe myrtle, crepe myrtle, crepe myrtle, yeah, myrtle, yeah, creep myrtles, the old, the old yeah. creepy myrtle, yep. and her hydrangea. <laughs> Afternoon, Sue. Uh, you got some pruning to do? Yes, I have, and I just didn't want to do it too early. That was all. Yeah, it's it, look, it's almost time, uh, you know, for the crepe myrtle. They're starting to look pretty bare now. Most of their leaves have dropped off. So, if you want to give your crepe myrtle a prune, uh, probably the time now as well. Um, hydrangeas, yeah, look, you're getting towards that time also. Now, there, you want to make sure that all the leaves are off and that there's no sort of new fresh buds bursting through. And it, the trouble is we have this sort of weird unseasonal weather like we've had over this weekend. And it can somewhat trick the plants into thinking, uh, you know, that it's time to uh, you know, have a little bit of bud burst again. So when you're looking at it, just be careful about that uh, to make sure there's no, you know, bud or sap, you know, running up through the plant. So you're seeing lots of bud burst. Uh, now, when you're pruning hydrangeas, though, if you want to get flowers off them, you always have to prune back to the double bud. So uh, if you prune to a single bud, uh, you won't get flowers uh, from that particular stem. So what I, I would do when uh, you know I'm pruning hydrangeas is I'll just get the shears out if it's a big plant and just give it a sort of a general all-round shape. 
and sort of do the hard work with the shears and then I'll go back at it with some secateurs and give it a really nice clean cut back just above the double bud so that I'm ensured that I'm going to have lots of flowers out of that particular plant. Okay, thanks a lot, Scott. Okay, and, and with your crepe, thank you. With your crepe myrtle, you can be, uh, you know, not so discerning. You can just have a good old hack at it, uh, and it'll come back nicely for you. Okay, thanks a lot, Scott. Okay, thank you, Sue. Okay, bye. Bye. We got Pat from Doyleston, and they got a question about their ger- geranium. Hello. Oh, hello, Pat. Good old fashioned geraniums. Oh yes, I got a piece off my dad before he died. <laughs> That's nice. And you want to just um, uh, sort of keep it uh, keep it going and strike That's some cuttings right. off it? Yeah. Well, the leaves look like they're sort of um, skeletons. Oh, okay. And how old, how old's the cutting? What have you done with it? <laughs> well, I just planted it in the front yard and it was a huge bush and now it's looking pretty sad. Okay, so I wonder if it's just time for a prune back on on the plant uh, just to try and generate some new growth because geraniums can get a bit straggly sometimes. Uh, You know, they can get a bit, uh, you know, sort of uh, worm-eaten, snail-eaten as well. So a a good prune is not a bad thing with a geranium just to try and invigorate it and give it some new growth. So how far do I go? Well, about a third of the plant. I wouldn't go much more than that. How big's the plant now? Okay. Um, oh, it's probably about three foot high. Oh, okay. So it's quite big, quite a big plant then, yeah. I, I'd, you, know, you could safely take a third of that off then. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks for the call, Bye. Pat. Bye-bye. It's Gardening Talk back on 2 and you are at FM. 49216216. We've got Maureen from Cameron Park. And she's got a question about a, a rose that just doesn't seem to be flowering. Uh, Maureen. Hello. How are you? I'm very well. What's happened to your rose? I have a rose that four years old yes and when i planted it it had a rose on it and since then it hasn't flowered it grows massively it has great big branches happen on it but no flowers at all okie doke now when you're saying it's growing where's it growing from because when you get a rose you'll notice that there's usually a, a like a little piece of stem and then from there there'll be a graft or a bud that comes out above that um, and where, where's it actually growing from? From down around the soil or still from out above that bud? No, above the bud. Yeah, okay. above there. Okay, well, that, that's really good. That's, that's important that that's happening as well. Now, what about your fertilising? Oh, sorry, and it's important because, uh, you know, sometimes roses die off and then you just get the rootstock growing um, up and they don't they do flower, but it's just a single wild rose that you get out of those. So if you want to get that the hybrid tea that you've you know, most probably got there, uh, it needs to be still growing from above the bud. Right. Now, what about your fertilising? Have you been fertilising that plant at all? Well, I was giving it rose food on and off, mm-hmm. and a friend of ours who grows roses, no trouble, said to feed it with some black marble. So we've just done that recently. Um, but we also pruned it right back because it just had great big arms on it. Anyway, I can explain it. Yeah, okay. So pruning uh, pruning's a good thing. Uh, it's, it's not going to flower um, very well now that we're going into winter and it's dormant period. That's mm. really going to be in uh, July. You know, sorry, once we get into August and September, you'll start getting some flowering uh, again. Right. Now... Do you know if there's been lots of, uh, you know, grass clippings or anything in the soil there previously? I'm, what, it sounds yeah. like that it's uh, been a high nitrogen area for the plant. 
Uh, and high, and if there's lots of nitrogen in the soil, it will grow mostly green leafy growth and won't give you, uh, you know, lots of flowering. So yes, well the other my other rows, I've got another four or five in that same area, and they are producing buds even at the moment. I'm oh. getting I'm getting roses on them, and this one is just doing nothing other than just growing lots of green greenery. Yeah, that does, does sound unusual. Look, a thing to do, and it's an old fallback for us, is to use some sulphate of potash on that plant in particular. Leave the other ones alone if you want to. Uh, look, it's not something that you you know you use sort of once. You have to start building it up in the soil because it does actually you know leave the soil fairly quickly. So you need to start using that now. It's called sulphate of potash. Uh, you just start watering it uh, in, into the soil around the plant. It should improve the uh, the flowering of the rose for you right yeah and and just use those other fertilizers the rose food that you've been using the black marble you've been suggested as well uh, but look otherwise I, I don't know if you even want to send us in a, a photo of the uh, of the plant just so that we can make sure that it, uh, it hasn't actually come from uh, you know, the wild rootstock uh, okay. And um, Delvin Delaney here, she she's um, about to uh, get the email address for us, and it is gardening at twonurfm.com. Your voice is so okay. deep, Delvin. <laughs> okay, gardening at twonurfm.com. Yes, and if you send me a pic okay. of the plant, I'll have a quick squiz at it for you, and we'll see um, we'll see All if right. it's uh, not the wild rootstock. All right, and thanks very much. Okay, thank you very much for that. Thank you. Bye, Maureen. Bye, bye. We've got David now from Woodbury. He wants to know how he can deal with the damage to his nature strip that's been made by the posties. So, David, what's been happening with the postie? Uh, I think it's probably because of, obviously, the sodden soil, obviously, and having, like you say, with the fine cooch, it's like a, a, a trench Yes. Uh, mark made in there. Okay. I was just wondering what sort of uh, aggregate I could place down to look after that and to uh, dissipate that uh, that trenching effect. Yeah, so Posty has to go over there all the time, does he? You can't sort of steer Posty away somewhere else? Um no, unless I put the uh, letterbox closer to the road. Okay, okay. Uh, and then I, someone knocks it off with a baseball bat. Yeah, always the always the danger. Look, I'd be more inclined just to uh, you know fill that area up with some uh, some sandy loam. Um, if you start filling it up with aggregate or rock, the grass just isn't going to grow back there for you. Uh, so, so you know, go grab uh, some lawn mix or some sandy loam. Uh, it'll drain away as well, so it won't just hold the moisture, but, and the lawn will run back over the top of that and uh, hopefully cover it back up. It won't do much in winter, unfortunately. Your lawns become very dormant, so um, I don't know if you I don't know, have a quiet word to Posty, see if they can go, or maybe go out there and meet Posty whenever you think they're going to come along and uh, try and get the mail, just to give it some chance to, uh, to spread back over that sandy loam. So do you uh, feel probably uh, uh, river sand or... Uh a more sharp aggregate. No, I'd be more of a, a, a river sand rather than a sharp aggregate. I, I think that's just not going to help the grass grow back into that area. Okay, thanks, bro. Okay, good on you. Good luck with the posty, David. Thanks, bro. Thanks, bye-bye. So we've got Claire from Marmon Point. 
and she wants to know how to poison weeds growing around the base of her golden barrel cactus without actually harming the cactus. Oh, that's it, Scott. Oh, that cactus wants to harm you, though, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, and, and I, I already try to use like a butter knife to get in there and, and try and get the base of those little runners yes. that the clovery stuff grows off. You never quite do it, and so then it comes back. And I just wonder whether I got a paintbrush and painted the, uh, the little uh, leaves of the weed whether it might travel back down the roots and actually affect the root system of my cactus. Um, I'd, I'd be very careful doing that. Um, we always tend to, to overuse. Um, whether glyphosate does that is debatable. You know, there are some studies that say, yes, it, it will go back and do that. But, you know, people do use it safely. But I, I think there are better products out there that you can use. And there's ones now, there's products out there without naming, you know, exact product names, but they're, uh, I guess they're uh, pine-based. Uh, so they'll actually, you spray them on or you could just dab them on if you want to be especially careful. And then it just literally burns away when the sun hits it. It just burns away the leaf and keeps it under control that way. It travels down into the root, into the root and the stem of the plant a little bit, um, but it's really just burning the the plant away with the aid of the sun. And I think that's probably a safer thing for you to do to keep it under control. So when you say pine-based? Yeah, they're, they're pine-based ones. So they're just liquid sprays that you can get now. Uh, they're also very good for using around roses because you cannot use zero glyphosate around roses. It mutates them. Uh, right. So in your situation, it'd be ideal. Uh, you can get these these sprays. Uh, yeah, they're... they're Pine based, uh, and they just burn the uh, the the weeds away. Okay, and stop them from flourishing. Yes, and they look there, and they're completely you know biodegradable, nice and safe to use, um, and uh, I think it is important in those sort of contained areas. Is yours in a pot or in in the yes, ground? The two sizable golden barrels in a pot each. Yeah, so I think you have to be even more careful in that case, and uh, just go and use these natural uh, sprays to keep those weeds under control. Lovely, I will do. Thanks very much, Scott. Okay, thanks, Claire. Have a nice Thank afternoon. You. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. We've got Leslie from Salamander, and she wants to remove weeds from pavers, but being mindful about the dogs and ants on the hibiscus. That's a, that's a, a cocktail of things we've got to deal with here. <laughs> Leslie, what's been going on? <laughs> oh, God. Thank God for you. I'll, I'll, I'm an old duck, but I'll speak as quickly as I can. That's all right. You just go. You go for it. We'll listen. Thank you, mate. And I'm not very uh, perverted. Let's just say the body doesn't work as well as it should. And there's not a bloke in this street for you know, love nor money. So <laughs> I'm, all, I'm all on my lonesome with this. Yeah, the paved area outside, um, I'm heartbroken. It's just gone black. It's black. All the pavers are. But the thing is that all these grassy looking weeds are coming through. And I've got an old dog and she's absolutely loves chewing grass. Yes. So I I have this dilemma. I don't know what to do with this. Yeah, okay. So you you can if you want to uh, you know, you can use glyphosate to get rid of weeds. Uh shouldn't be harmful to the animals. Uh but, you know, you'd obviously keep them off it until it dries and goes down into the plant. Uh, but like we were just talking to, to Claire then, there are, you know, more natural, biodegradable, uh, you know, safe ones that you can get now. Uh, so I would probably go and get those to use on your pavers. Uh, they're pine-based, as we just said before. They come as a spray in a little, you know, can, like a um, little gun 
plastic yeah. pressure thing. You know, I'm, I'm asking Greg here to help a, me out, but like he's a spray thing. A spray thing, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. you got, yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, so you just go and spray those. You have to make sure it's a sunny day though. Uh, and they will just burn the weeds away. You'll just see them starting to curl up and burn as the sun hits them, uh, and they will die back for you. Okay. And the black pavers? Yeah, the black pavers. I'm wondering what's going on there. Um, There's uh, definitely products you can get uh, that you can, uh, you know, water on or spray on, uh, and that will get rid of, uh, you know, any sooty mould or mould that's that's growing on the pavers. So it might be worth, um, you know, going and having a look at those. I think there's one called Wet and Forget um, and other sort of, yeah, there's a whole lot of different ones. That's just the one that springs to mind. Um, so give that a try and, uh, and see if that gets the uh, the sooty mould off for you. And that's that's easy enough for an old duck to use? Absolutely. They're just look, all of those products, those sort of um, anti-mould ones, uh, they just mix up and you can spray them on. You can use the watering can as well from memory, um, but uh, I think you tend to overuse, you tend to use too much of it. Uh, so it's, you know, the water's almost running away. Uh, when if you're just using a spray, you're just getting that gentle coating over the top. Uh, so you're not overusing, you know, you might use, for instance, eight litres, it'll do you, you know, <laughs> you know, 10 or 20 square metres, but if you're going to use the watering can, you'll only get five square metres out of it, um, you know, for example. Uh, so if you can mix it up and use the spray, a, a better sort of more efficient way to use it. Very good. And my last one, Yes. I have got the most gorgeous hibiscus um, that I planted, I don't know, it would have only been three or four years ago, and we're for whatever reason, it loves where it is and, and it just grows fanatically. And it's it's a beautiful cream double hibiscus. It is so gorgeous. But I've got these tiny baby, baby ants that absolutely cover the petals. Yeah, so they're, they're probably just coming up to feed off the pollen. Uh, it could also have scale on it as well, so be careful about that um, because ants will come up to feed off the residue of scale. Have you been getting sort of uh, black sooty mould on the hibiscus as well? Have you noticed that? No, but I've got a lot of white moths. Yeah, I don't know that that's going to be going to be the issue for you. Um, but Big holes in the leaves. Oh, okay. So you might have had, uh, you know, the hibiscus beetle or some other sort of grub in there chewing around. Uh, I'd grab some pyrethrum in that case. It will keep the ants under control for you and it will also get any moths under control as well. It's nice and safe to use um, and and quite simple. Yeah, pyrethrum. You are wonderful. Thank you so much. Oh, well, we try our best. I'm not going to go as far as agreeing with you, though. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Dearing me. Okay. Well, thank you very much for the call. Thanks, Scott. Bye. Bye now. Scott up. we're almost out of time for another week, but before you step on out, is there anything you'd like to mention? Well, I want to know if people could grow coconut palms. No one's one's given us the clue. Well, I've seen palms before, but I haven't seen coconut palms. Yeah, look, you see lots of palms. I I think the trouble with the coconut palm, and I have had people try, I'm not sure if they've been successful, um, that they need to be, you know, sort of north of Tropic of Capricorn, it's funny, isn't it? You see them getting whipped around by, you know, the trade winds when you're, you know, on holidays in the islands and stuff, but they seem to survive that, but it gets a little bit cold and they're not happy. So we might talk a bit about that uh, more next week. Oh, if you can, we'll throw it a bit more. Give us a teaser. Well, I, I, well, I, I think Tropic of Capricorn, because we get, uh, you know, the, the temperatures are about, you know, over 15, 20 degrees once you get up that far north. Uh, we don't get the cold winds as well. I mean, it's funny, you go that far north and all of a sudden the whole, you know, 
wind system changes, doesn't it? It's always coming down from the north on you, nice and warm. Um, and, that, and that's what keeps the, uh, the uh, coconut palms going, um, vanilla beans as well. Right, so you can put vanilla beans and coconut palms up there? Well, you probably could if you wanted to. Uh, coconut palms, look, they do get very tall, though, as, as we all know, about 15 metres high. I wonder if, if you did were able to grow them here in Newcastle, if you kept them in a you know, protected position, uh, they might not get as tall as well. Uh, whether they'll fruit properly either, that's the other consideration here. Yeah. Yeah. The other plant I was going to talk about as well was the lipstick palm. Um, it's really, really beautiful. People always come in asking if they can Why grow... Why called the lipstick? Well, because it's, you know, the golden cane palm, it's got the nice yellow stems on it. The lip t- stick, uh, lipstick <laughs> palm, I knew I was going to do that eventually, <laughs> like I didn't do anything else. The lipstick <laughs> palm uh, has nice red stems on it. It's very, very vibrant. I think people go on holidays, you know, up the coast further, even up around Noosa and places, and they see it growing up there, and they want to be able to grow it down here in Newcastle. But look, unfortunately, again, uh, you need really, you know, high temperatures, uh, yep. you know, sort of 20s, 25s. Um, you know, certainly not dropping below 15 at night. That seems to be sort of the thing that uh, that uh, gets most plants once you get below that temperature. Uh, and look, it's the same as the uh, uh, the golden cane palm, about three to four metres tall, but that really vibrant red lipstick stems. Uh, right. Very hence, beautiful. Hence so, the name. Yeah, if you're on holidays, go and, ch- and try and check it out. Scotch up. We'll do. A we'll bit of a tropical end there for us today. Oh, the nice warm weather we've had. <laughs> Scotch up. Thank you very much. We'll catch you again next Monday from 12. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.